Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and check out the hair! I told you the other day I was going to get this uh, carotene treatment thing to manage the curls, because I've been growing it out since November, so 9-10 months now, or 9 months, plus or minus a little bit, and I've uh, been... It's, you know, it's getting longer, but it's getting managed, unmanageable, and it's all frizzy and afro-y and weird and gross. And So, hey, look at that. I got this done here in Las Vegas because it's half the price of what it costs to get it done in San Diego. And, uh, yeah, look, it's all straight. They say it won't be straight for long. I can't wash this thing for three days, 72 hours, they say. Uh, because if I do it, it'll kind of screw up the treatment. It needs some time to get in or whatever. But anyway, after that, the curls will start coming back. But it won't be these tight things and they'll be more manageable and less goofy looking and uh man but now it's scratching the back of my neck because i got all this long stuff back here before i'm growing this out but it, the rolls were so tight it was just building up on the back of my head instead of falling down but now it's falling down it's like oh geez um so yeah look at that new look I actually kind of dig it um so i figured i'd get on here do another episode this week of the podcast and video because why not uh show off a little bit <laughs> Uh, and well, as long as I'm here, I might as well read you another chapter from the Pericles Conspiracy. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? I think so. So when last we left Joe and company, they had just busted Becky out of the uh, prisoner transport van. Uh, and poor Jacqueline Moore was there trying to stop him, but they had her dead to rights and she couldn't. And wah, poor bad special agent. But, you know, she's got to make a living and got to keep herself doing well so i could feel a little sorry for her not really anyway uh so we'll see what happens next becky's out surely all must go well now right that was the premise so stick around hope you enjoy this chapter and um i'll talk to you on the flip side the pericles conspiracy written by me read by me sounds real good too doesn't it chapter 29 Setting the Pieces Jackie held herself erect by sheer force of will. Others, most people, truth be told, would wither beneath Chandini's ire, but she would not allow herself to. She would not. And that is all we know, ma'am. Jackie's supervisor, Viktor Gorshkov, finished the briefing in his usual clipped tones. He managed to keep any hint of emotion out of his words, despite the fact that he was probably at least as embarrassed as Jackie. She had always admired that about him. A consummate professional, Victor was. On the wall monitor, Chandini's scowl darkened, which Jackie would not have thought possible a moment ago. This situation is unacceptable, Agent Gorshkov. Yes, ma'am. What else is there to say? Chandini's gaze left Victor and came to rest upon Jackie. She felt a trickle of sweat run down her back and almost let her shoulders slump at the fire in the deputy director's eyes. Not so long ago, those eyes had been warm, congratulatory, as Chandini praised Jackie's efforts and went on at length about how bright a future she had. So much for that. Chandini's lips pursed for a moment, and Jackie could see the wheels spinning in her head. Agent Moore, 
Jackie stiffened, trying not to look terrified. Here it came. You are no longer agent in charge of this case. It was not unexpected, but hearing the words from the deputy director's lips still stung. But that would not be the worst. Chandini continued, I am taking personal command. I will board a suborbital transport ten minutes after the end of this conversation, and I will be in Quito in two hours. Jackie could not remember when she'd been so surprised. Chandini was coming here? To assume control personally? And to use a suborbital ride? Those were expensive, more costly than standard subsonic aircraft anyway. NSA travel regulations stipulated subsonic transport, except for the highest of emergencies, and even then Victor, as section head, could not just sign off on it. It had to be approved from headquarters. Of course, Chandini was headquarters, but still. This was a high-profile case. Maybe the highest-profile case ever. It should not have surprised Jackie that the deputy director would pull out all the stops now that things were going haywire, but still it did. Chandini was saying something else. Jackie missed it in the whirlwind of surprise thoughts for a moment. I'm sorry, ma'am? Chandini looked askance at her. In truth, she had not been looking at her in any other way the entire time, but it just got worse. Assemble your team, Agent Moore. They must be ready to deploy as soon as I arrive. Deploy where? The deputy director just looked at her silently for a second. Then the monitor went dark, as abrupt an end to a conversation as Jackie could recall in any professional setting. This was going to be ugly but at least she was still on the case and still had a job. In fact, Chandini had not mentioned anything of disciplinary action against her at all, and neither had Victor. Slowly, hope and relief welled up within her. They were not going to lop her head off after all. Jackie turned her head away from the monitor to see Victor grinning at her. I told you not to worry, he said, the clipped professional tone he used with Chandini punctuated with more warmth now. It ought to be, they had been working together long enough. You did, but still, she could not believe it. Why the parole? She knew better than to ask, and besides, she knew the answer anyway. She was already read in. She knew the people involved and had some experience with how they operated, and she had a personal stake in making sure this thing turned out the way it was supposed to. She had value still, and Chandini was never one to waste a resource. Get your people ready, Victor said. Things are about to get very busy around here. Joe had not stopped pacing for hours. At least it felt that way. She did not look at her watch to verify the notion, though. She knew without looking that it would more than confirm her estimate. She had been what fashioned for a medical waiting room for half a day now, and she knew that without any doubt at all. It was just amusing, or at least felt less pathetic, to tell herself she had only been pacing for a short while and was exaggerating to herself in the midst of her stress. The analytical part of her mind, the professional part, the part that had seen her through countless stressful scenarios and one or two life-or-death situations over the years, screamed out at her that she was being foolish. Time passes as it will, and she was stupid to deny it. And even more stupid to waste energy in a fruitless exercise. She knew that part of her mind was right, but that mattered not. She continued to pace. She did her small, five-step circuit of the waiting area. Not so long ago, it had been a small receptionist area, where an overly pompous small business owner could put on airs of importance by having his admin keep potential clients waiting in seats that were just a little too narrow while the climate patrol kept the room just a little bit too warm. All the better to wear them down before the negotiations got started. Or at least that's how Joe envisioned the scenario taking place as she paced around. Of course, that notion almost certainly had no relation to the reality of what went on in the office space of the underground. CFL seemed even more trite, so Joe refused to even think it, least out. The office space was in a small commercial building, a different one than Isaac brought Joe to initially after the escape from the NSA agents, and adjoined a moderately sized park. 
Joe would have preferred the park not be there. Better a bit more inconvenience on their part getting back and forth from the base than to risk children's lives because of their impatience. But then, no one had consulted her on the choice. Joe stopped before the room's lone window and peered out, her mind whirling through the day's events as she watched the branches and the trees across the street wave in the breeze. It was hard to believe the recovery had gone so smoothly, almost like clockwork. Very few small details varied from the way that she had planned it, and almost before she realized it, they were wheeling Becky back into the office, where a medic was waiting. She would undoubtedly be disoriented, and if her experience came close to matching Joe's, probably hungry and sleep-deprived. But none of those things required hours of treatment. Well, except for sleep. Joe had not seen anyone in quite some time since a short, black-haired man she had never seen before came in to deliver a tray of food. No one had told her whether to stay in the waiting area or to leave, but Joe could not bring herself to do either. Damn it, what the hell was going on? She turned away to the window to resume her pacing, her hands curling into fists as irritation welled up within her. It was well past time she got off her duff and find out something about their status. And so, naturally, that was when the door from the inner office, the medical room, whatever, opened. Malcolm and Pedro stepped into the room. Both of them looked exhausted, their clothing rumpled, though Pedro's jeans and short-sleeved green-colored shirt fared far worse than Malcolm's black jumpsuit from the raid. But worse than that, they were dejected. Malcolm managed a smile of greeting, though it did not pass to his eyes. Is she... Joe almost feared to hear it from the looks on their faces, but she had to know. Malcolm sighed and flopped onto one of the two narrow chairs that Joe had specifically opted not to use. Becky's okay, but... But, Pedro interrupted, she was heavily drugged for the transfer, and from appearances was not treated very well at all, before then. She's been in and out of consciousness for the last couple hours, but she finally became coherent just a few minutes ago. Joe could almost feel the ball beginning to drop. So what did she... Malcolm sighed. A sound of defeat, if ever Joe heard one. He slumped forward, looking down at the floor. She told them where the backup drives were stored. She tried to hold out, but he shook his head. That certainly put a damper on things. Damn, Joe said, which was putting it mildly. You could say that, Pedro said. The young man ran his head through his hair and glanced back at the door to the recovering room, his lips drawing downward into a scowl. Then he too sighed. I'm not sure what to tell you. That's that, I guess. Joe got a hollow feeling in the pit of her stomach. What are you saying, Pedro? Pedro looked back at her and Joe found herself retreating a half-step before she realized it. His gaze was almost venomous. I'm saying we're done here. This whole project was a bad idea from the start, but now... He shook his head. That was our last play. There's nothing more we can do. Now we need to focus on rebuilding the organization and recovering from the hits we've taken. You can't be serious. You're going to let this happen? Joe shook her head in denial, but Pedro's expression did not budge in the least. The dreadful realization came over her. He meant every word. My God, you are, aren't you? Why the hell did you even get involved in this in the first place if you're just going to pull out when it gets a little difficult? Pedro snorted and made a disdainful gesture toward Malcolm. Wasn't up to me, Captain. Your silver-tongued friend there won Becky over, and Lars was not far behind. I didn't make decisions then. He drew himself up and just seemed to tower. I do now. And we have enough human problems, injustices that affect actual people, not some critters from... He waved his hand upward toward the ceiling. Up there. We don't need to expend resources that we can't afford to lose on something like this. His eyes narrowed at her. Dangerously. Especially now, after all the damage that's been done. There it was. She had caught glimpses of it from time to time, but now it was laid out bare for all to see. Pedro did not care about the alien babies. They were just animals to him. 
worth about as much as a household cat. Maybe less. He would probably have loved to sign up to work with that damn lab. The hollow feeling in the pit of her stomach became a burning rage at Pedro's callous indifference, his short-sightedness. She took a step toward him, her fist once more clenched. You can't be that stupid. They are more advanced than us. When they learn what we did to their... Pedro snorted again. How are they ever going to learn about it? Joe returned the snort. Secrets this big never stay hidden. You of all people should know that, considering the company you keep. And we'll deal with it then as a people. But in the meantime, there are more important issues to tackle. Pedro's stare could freeze a cup of coffee in a second. You've cost us a lot of trouble, Captain. You and Malcolm both. He glanced aside toward Malcolm, and if anything, his gaze hardened. We've wasted resources, lost equipment, lost people. I've half a mind to turn you both in. Malcolm rose to his feet. His eyes widened, and his expression, resigned, almost defeated before, became suddenly alarmed. Pedro, he said, his voice shaking. Joe had never heard him speak with such a note of fear in his words before. Pedro raised a hand toward Malcolm, a gesture Joe presumed was meant to be soothing. But we all know the NSA won't stop with just the two of you, not now, if ever. Turning you in will not help us. He snorted out a bitter-sounding laugh. Hell, it would probably hurt us more because you would tell them everything you know about us. He glanced between the two of them. Wouldn't you? Damn right I would, Joe said through clenched teeth, her rage reduced but still smoldering within her. So, Pedro said, that leaves us at a bit of an impasse. What to do with the two of you? He crossed his arms over his chest and raised his left hand to his chin. The index finger tapped idly at his chin as he paused and pondered. Joe did not trust herself not to flay the boy. He was acting like a boy, whatever his actual age, alive with her tongue. Instead, she managed, in the calm tone she reserved for subordinates, who had screwed up royally but who could not be taken to task immediately, to ask, Have you discussed any of this with Becky? Malcolm shook his head quickly, shooting Joe a warning glance. Pedro either did not notice or did not care. He fixed his gaze firmly on Joe and smirked. What Becky thinks no longer matters. She's been compromised. Until and unless she can be proven not to be turned, or at least to not be a hindrance to her operation, she's no longer in charge. I was next in line, so... His smirk became a satisfied grin, and his eyebrow quirked upward meaningfully. Son of a bitch. Joe had no response to that one. The silence stretched out for long several seconds. Then Pedro nodded to himself, as though he had settled something in his mind. I think we're through. You already said that, Joe said but she trailed off when she noticed the stricken expression on Malcolm's face. Pedro sniffed in disdain. No, I mean we are through with the two of you. Citizens for Liberty will no longer participate in your little crusade. He snapped his fingers in the air beside his head, and the door behind Joe, the one leading out into the hallway of the building that housed their new hideout, swung open. Two burly men, whom Joe recognized from the planning and preparation for the jailbreak, walked into the room and took up station on either side of the door, arms crossed over their chests in an intimidating manner. These gentlemen will escort you out and give you sufficient funds to set yourselves up somewhere. He fixed first Joe and then Malcolm with a hard stare. Do not try to contact us again. He turned on his heel and walked back toward the inner door. You're not worried we'll go to the feds? Pedro chuckled softly at Joe's question. Of course they would not go to the feds. If they did, they would just be dooming themselves. Sure, they could cause some damage to the CFL, but they themselves would never see outside of a sale again, if they were even that lucky. The CFL would not turn them in, but they had no reason to fear Joe and Malcolm doing so themselves. The rage reignited from its smolder, burning with an intensity that could melt steel. You son of a bitch! The only reply to Joe's outburst was the solid and final click of the door swinging shut behind Pedro.
Well, Pedro sure is doing them some dirty, huh? Okay, no more CFL for Joe and Malcolm, apparently. Um, after all they did for them, too, that's kind of jacked up. Don't you think? Oh, well, somebody needs to call that darn writer and tell him to stop being such a jerk to his characters. Now, let's see what happens next. I'm not sure what the heck they're going to do now. I mean, the Citizens for Liberty, the Underground, whatever you want to call them, they were, uh, they were the... the the main support mechanism that Malcolm had, and <laughs> I think Joe was kind of relying on them too. So now what? Uh, off on their own. And we'll see what happens in the next episode, which will probably be next week. Um, of course, if you don't want to wait, go buy the book. You know where to do it, my website or all the other retail places on the planet. But, you know, up to you. Uh, hey, but please do uh, like, subscribe on this video and this uh, podcast. If you haven't told any friends about it, please do leave some reviews about the podcast. That'll be helpful as well. And if you like what I'm doing, want to give a little support, help make the uh, financial side of this podcasting writing thing easier, go by my website, become a supporting member. And that's, uh, you know, you could do various subscription models to uh, get some bucks my way and get stuff in return to you too. Uh, that would be awesome. Regardless, um, thanks very much for watching and or listening. Come back next time. We'll talk to you again then. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>